For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, aka the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. I'm Edward October. Ask any bold individualist and they'll tell you. All you need for a perfect eggnog is to combine egg yolks, beaten until creamy, egg whites, beaten until fluffy, heavy cream, a generous portion of fresh ground nutmeg, and an even more generous portion of liquor. Most people use dark rum. I prefer bourbon. The final two ingredients are essential. A cozy seat by the fire to sip it, and a ghost story told as only October Pod can tell it. This year, October Pod's gift to you is a Christmas ghost story that can easily be called a classic of the medium. It drops on December 25th, Christmas Day. Find it on our YouTube channel, October Pod Home Video, or on October Pod AM, wherever you get podcasts. You can find all of our links at OctoberPodVHS.com. Listen by the fire, and we guarantee it will be the crowning pleasure of your busy holiday season. After all, Eggnog without a belt of good hooch is hardly eggnog, and Christmas without an Octoberpod ghost story is hardly Christmas. Octoberpod, Yuletide horror for bold individualists. Hey there, friends. I'm CJ, host of Beyond the Rainbow, true crimes of the LGBTQ. It's December, and the holidays for many of us are just right around the corner. The Darkcast Network has been hard at work in our toy shop. Oh, wait, we're not elves. In our studios, preparing for the holidays in a very special way. We're stuffing our big red sleigh. Wait, that's not us either. We've been recording tales of the nice and the naughty from all around the world, so we can bring you two very special episodes. 
featuring topics like the Dutch tradition of pickle in a tree and burning of the devil in Guatemala, true crime tales of the Lawson family and killer kids. There will also be cryptids and folklore with Krampus, Bill's Nickel, and Le La Chusa. So put your comfy jammies on, grab your mug of hot cocoa, and join us by the fireplace for Dark Cast Holiday Naughty or Nice Stories. They'll be available on the podcast feed that you're listening to right now on December 19th and December 20th. We'll jingle your dingle. Wait, that didn't sound right either. I'm Edward October, creator-host of October Pod, and we're both listening to Calls of Death on the Darkcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the 50th episode of Cause of Death, 100 Seconds to Midnight. I'm your host, Jackie Moranti. I'm so excited to have made it to 50 episodes. I figured that I would have given up by now. A lot goes into making this show, and sometimes it gets overwhelming. But here we are, the 50th episode. As promised, this is a crossover episode between Cause of Death and 100 Seconds to Midnight. I'm going to do a little bit of both shows. I thought it was fitting for the occasion. I'm using music from both shows, too. The beginning will be the Cause of Death music, and the 100 Seconds to Midnight music comes in a little later. This story addresses both sides of my shell. I'll begin by talking about a disease that has the potential to kill off an entire species, and I'll end with the chaos of a species that's already extinct. Today I'm going to explore the death of Dolly, the disease-doomed dinosaur. Let's begin with the etiology and pathology of a pathogen, Aspergillus fumigatus. I'm going to focus more on the pathology than the etiology of this disease because the mechanisms are not well understood. I've read several papers on host invasion and genetics of this particular mold, but none of them agree. I would rather wait and give you information that I know to be true than have you emailing me because I'm contradicting myself at every turn. I am going to talk about the reproductive system of the mold, since we haven't explored that before. Viruses can't reproduce outside of a host, and bacteria needs a particular environment to reproduce. So, they both need hosts, but molds and other fungi don't. They can reproduce on their own. Let's start there, and then we'll move on to pathology. In order to understand mold reproduction, I need to define some things and then talk about environmental conditions. Molds are multinucleated filamentous fungi that are made up of hyphae. These are branching tubular structures that range from 2 to 10 micrometers in diameter and are usually divided into cell-like units by cross walls called septa. The entire hypha, including the septa, is called mycelium. Now, I want you to imagine a tree. Many molds look like trees under a microscope. The bottom of the mold is called a vegetative mycelium. 
This is the part that grounds the mold to whatever it's growing on and also absorbs the nutrients from that thing. It functions like the roots of a tree. The aerial mycelium could be compared to branches. This is the part of the mold that produces asexual reproductive spores. Sort of like the branches of the tree form leaves or seeds that will contribute to the reproduction of that tree. The bark of the mold is called the cell wall, and it's composed mostly of chitin. The cell wall surrounds a cell that is eukaryotic, so it has a nucleus. Unicellular organisms such as animals, plants, and fungi are eukaryotic organisms. Molds reproduce primarily through asexual reproductive spores. These spores include conidiospores, sporangiospores, and arthrospores. These spores can be carried by air, water, animals, or other objects, and when they land in a nice, moist environment, they can germinate and produce new hyphae. Molds may also reproduce by sexual spores, such as ascospores and zygospores, but this doesn't happen often. During sexual reproduction, two different mating types of hyphae form short-sighted branches. If the tips of these branches meet, they produce reproductive cells called gametes. The gametes will join together to form a zygote. The zygote will then form a wall around itself for protection. This wall is called a zygospore. A few months later, the zygospore will germinate and the process will begin all over again. Sexual reproduction, again, is rare in molds. Most commonly, molds will reproduce asexually. A. fumigatus is no exception. This mold almost exclusively uses asexual reproduction to continue the line. The means by which molds reproduce along with their appearance are factors in the identification and classification of molds. We know from looking into viruses and bacteria that environment matters to them. Aspergillus species are very thermotolerant. They're able to withstand most weather conditions and survive well in decaying matter. Cold doesn't bother them, and as long as they have moisture, they can grow anywhere. This is why they can grow so well inside of a host. A human male is made up of 60% water, so this mold feels very at home inside a human host. They also carry melanin. Melanin is a complex polymer that's derived from the amino acid tyrosine. Melanin gives pigment. If you've listened to the episode on my dog, Sweet Pea, you know that her skin has no pigment. She doesn't produce melanin. This is why she's all white with pink skin and blue eyes. And it's also why she's deaf. In Aspergillus species, melanin aids survival in two important ways. The protective pigment helps the mold evade immune defenses of their hosts, and it also protects against UV rays. UV light is often used to kill bacteria on surfaces, and it doesn't work at all with mold. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, you ask. Where is Aspergillus? Well, it's everywhere. Aspergillus fumigatus is a ubiquitous saprophytic mold that forms airborne spores called conidia. It exists in nature. There's no avoiding it. Anywhere there is rotting plant life, household dust, building materials, plants, food, or water, you have Aspergillus. Check your cheese after you haven't seen it in a few weeks. Or those leftovers you brought home from the restaurant and never ate? Yeah, molds can survive anywhere. While most molds will survive eating dead or decaying organisms, there are parasitic molds that survive within or on living organisms. Aspergillus is one of those molds. It can survive in a living host. Less than 20 of the roughly 200 Aspergillus species of mold cause human disease, though. A. fumigatus is the predominant isolate from nature. It's thought that the genetic diversity among A. fumigatus and the increased virulence patterns are the causes for this. This theory is also still under consideration since one hospital survey found that A. fumigatus represented less than 1% of airborne mold spores, yet it accounted for over 50% of patient isolates. By contrast, A. niger constituted more than half of the airborne isolates, but only 17% of patient isolates. What this means is that A. fumigatus has a better chance of colonizing in the human respiratory tree than A. niger, which is a lesser pathogen. The size of the mold, the rate of germination, and resistance to host killing mechanisms are likely factors in the success of A. fumigatus taking up residence in the pulmonary system of its host. Basically, molds are opportunistic pathogens that take advantage of any deficiencies in the immune system to cause disease. And once they've made themselves at home, they can spread to other parts of the body, wreaking havoc as they go. Okay, now, before I get 100 emails from people saying that they're sure they're infected with Aspergillus fumigatus, Eric, let's back up a minute. People inhale hundreds of spores of the conidia on the daily. Those with healthy immune systems clear the spores through the pulmonary immune system. It's when the immune system proves to be too strong or too weak that disease can occur. Therefore, those who are immunocompromised are at higher risk for morbidity and mortality from aspergillus. Those who have experienced organ transplantation, 
Take any immunosuppressive or myeloablative therapy for autoimmune or neoplastic disease, or those who have HIV or AIDS are at the highest risk for infection. Morbidity and mortality are far greater among these populations than any other. This is the most common invasive mold infection for these patients, and the mortality rate among these populations is upwards of 50%. Sensitivity to aspergillus has been associated with asthma, but there is no strong proof that aspergillus causes asthma. Studies concerning the relationship between aspergillus and asthma are ongoing. Aspergillus is a lower respiratory infection. Most of the diseases that we've talked about so far are upper respiratory infections. Acute invasive pulmonary aspergillosis usually causes coughing with hemoptysis, pleuric chest pain, and shortness of breath. This form may lead to rapidly progressive and ultimately fatal respiratory failure if left untreated. Chronic pulmonary aspergillosis may manifest with mild indolent symptoms despite significant disease. Extrapulmonary invasive aspergillosis occurs in severely immunocompromised patients. It begins with skin lesions, sinusitis, or pneumonia, and may involve the liver, kidneys, brain, and other tissues via hematogenous dissemination and is often rapidly fatal. Aspergillosis in the sinuses can form an aspergilloma or cause allergic fungal sinusitis or a chronic slowly invasive granulomatous inflammation with fever, rhinitis, and headache. Patients may have necrosing cutaneous lesions overlying the nose or sinuses, palatal or gingival ulcerations, signs of cavernous sinus thrombosis, or pulmonary or disseminated lesions. Aspergillomas are usually asymptomatic, but may cause mild cough and occasionally hemoptysis. Treatment normally includes antifungals such as voriconazole, amphotericin B, caspofungin, or intraconazole. If fungus balls form, yes, I said fungus balls form, they may have to be removed by surgical resection. What is a fungus ball, you ask? A fungus ball, or aspergilloma, is a growth of tangled masses of hyphae within a fibrin exudate and a few inflammatory cells thrown in for good measure, all wrapped up in a fibrous tissue. Invasive infections usually require aggressive treatment with voriconazole or isovuconazole. There are other antifungals that can be used, but they are more toxic and they have quite a few more side effects. Diagnosis isn't real comfy. Bronchioavular lavage and tissue samples are used for PCR testing. Sometimes a CT scan is helpful, but most of the time it's sputum and it's lavage. And it's totally uncomfortable. It's 100 seconds to midnight, and a story has been unfolding over the last couple of years about a dinosaur. 
Scientists call her, him, it, Dolly. Dolly may hold the key to an infection that has potential to wipe out a current species. The dinosaur was named after Dolly Parton, of course. I'm going to refer to her as her. At this point, most scientists call her her. And the name is pretty feminine. So if no one has any objection, Dolly is her. Scientists found Dolly in 1990. She lived in Montana during the Jurassic period, roughly 150 million years ago. Dolly was a sauropod, a plant-eating dinosaur with a long neck, a long tail, a small head, and four sturdy legs that could carry her long distances. She was about 60 feet long and weighed about four or five tons. This particular species of dinosaur didn't reach maturity until their late 20s. Dolly's species remains unknown. Her scientific name will be revealed in a future study, though. She appears to be closely related to Diplodocus. The area that Dolly lived in was warm and humid. There was plant and animal life all around. Dolly lived along an inland seaway that existed in what is currently Montana. This seaway slowly withdrew toward Canada. The Rockies were in their infancy. The environment would have been very similar to the Gulf Coast region. Flat, large rivers draining into the seaway, warm, humid, and well-vegetated. A perfect habitat for fungus to grow. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Dolly was a happy teenager, about 15 or 20 years old, and she was living her best life until she became sick with pneumonia-like symptoms. She began to become feverish and lethargic. She had labored breathing, coughing, sneezing, and diarrhea. She was the first of her kind to get this sort of disease, and she was miserable. We don't know if Dolly died of the disease, starvation, or predation, but she died alone. This disease would have debilitated her, and as she became weaker and sicker, she may have stopped eating. She certainly wouldn't be strong enough to keep up with her herd. They would have to move on, and she would be left behind. Dolly may have tried to isolate and recover. She may have just fallen behind the pack. She was certainly visibly sick 
which made her an easy target for predators. Other dinosaurs, like Allosaurus, were carnivorous, so Dolly may have been easy prey for them. Dinosaurs were likely to stay together during nesting season, which would have caused infections to spread among the members of the herd. The lack of social distancing would have made the perfect environment for rampant infection. Anthropologists studying Dolly today have a lot of empathy for her. Most people who hear her story have a lot of empathy for her. We all know what it's like to have a respiratory infection. The headache, the coughing, the sneezing, the fever. We understand this kind of misery. And it's hard for us to think that in Dolly's case, it led to her death. We know that Dolly's condition was chronic. The infection had gone into her bones and caused a terrible growth on three of her vertebrae that resembled broccoli. In dinosaurs, these bones are situated close to their air sacs, so the growths would be common there. Plant-eating sauropods and meat-eating theropods have respiratory tracts that are far more elaborate than mammals. In addition to lungs, they have thin, balloon-like air sacs that invade the body cavity and many bones. In Dolly's case, abnormal bone growths were present at the connection between the respiratory tissue and bones in three of her vertebrae. This was evidence that the infection had spread from the lungs. The air sacs connected to the bones through large holes in the sides, called pleuroceles. Pleuroceal tissue is normally very smooth, but CT scans of Dolly revealed the pleuroceal boundaries were irregular and rough with bumpy protrusions. This is what cued researchers in on Dolly's condition. This is commonly known as air sacculitis, infection or inflammation of the air sacs. The lesions were compared to scars and lesions in modern birds, the living lineage of dinosaurs. Modern reptiles were also compared since they are distantly related to dinosaurs. Aspergillus also infects reptiles, but to a much lesser extent. Diagnosis of any disease in dinosaurs is rare because soft tissue decays. Getting a diagnosis, especially one of this type, was a lucky break. We know that dinosaurs suffered from disease like any other species. The fossil records can show broken bones, arthritis, tooth abscesses, blood-borne infections that affect bones, and even bone cancer. These types of diseases are much easier to see in bone. There is also evidence of a tuberculosis-like infection in a marine reptile that lived 245 million years ago. It's taken years for Dolly to be unearthed. Anthropologists began digging her up in 1990. Then work continued from 2013 to 2015. In 2014, Dr. Carrie Woodruff decided to dust off the fossil and after scraping away the hard rock encasing the skull, he realized that Dolly was a different species related to Diplodocus. He didn't work on injuries and traumas in the fossil record, and he knew he was in over his head when he saw the injuries on Dolly's spine. So, he went to social media and asked his colleagues. The answer came back from several paleontologists, anatomists, and veterinarians. The cause of Dolly's death was unanimous. 
This has got to be a respiratory infection. Dr. Woodruff quickly ruled out volcanic ash as the culprit in Dolly's unfortunate demise. Quote, when these animals breathe in ash, the internal aspect of the bone is perfectly fine. They just develop weird growths on the outside, end quote. They also didn't find any evidence of volcanic ash in the sediment from where Dolly was extracted years ago. The lesions didn't fit with lung cancer either. Of course, nothing they considered was a perfect match. But we know that disease doesn't work that way. When it comes to disease, there are always anomalies. During times of trauma, bone can grow pretty fast, so the infection could have been prolonged, and it may have occurred sometime during the last year of Dolly's life. The protrusions were only about a centimeter tall, so it's unlikely that they caused Dolly much pain, but her symptoms were more than likely severe. This fossil infection not only helps us trace the evolutionary history of respiratory-related infections back in time, but it also gives us a better understanding of what kinds of diseases dinosaurs were susceptible to. Researchers want to determine if any other dinosaur fossils found in the same location that Dolly was found exhibit the same pattern of illness. They want to find out what other diseases dinosaurs have that could affect modern birds. Woodruff believes that the approach, techniques, and makeup of research teams will change in the future. They may include specialists from different disciplines, such as medical experts. As diagnostics progress, so could diagnosis. Researchers could come much closer to finding out how an animal died. Then they can use that information to possibly stop outbreaks from happening in the relatives of dinosaurs. Possibly, this information could be used to stop a human outbreak as well. So, why do we care? Well, we should care because Diplodocus eventually evolved into birds. Knowing Dolly's anatomy may give us insight into the anatomies of birds and how disease could progress through their body. In fact, birds are a part of the sauropod and theropod groups, and Aspergillus is the most common respiratory infection today in birds. Aspergillus infections are most commonly reported in wild bird populations such as waterfowl, raptors, and gulls. Just like humans, birds become infected through inhalation of spores from infected soil, grain, straw, or silage. Entire flocks of waterfowl can be affected if they congregate in fields covered with moldy waste grain during the fall or early winter months. Death comes quickly for these infected birds. They are usually in good physical condition and appear healthy when they're found. When birds are subjected to small amounts of mold over a long period of time, their condition may become chronic. They become debilitated and emaciated, just like Dolly. Aspergillus infections are not transmitted from bird to bird or from birds to humans, but people can become infected by caring for infected birds and inhaling the spores. When thinking about Dolly and the evolutionary chain, we have to consider that if this could happen to dinosaurs of the past, it could certainly happen to current dinosaurs, birds. These respiratory infections are lethal in wild birds 90% of the time. 
This could have very serious effects on the avian population, both wild and domestic. Though the disease isn't normally spread from animal to animal, there is still a high likelihood that entire flocks could be wiped out by respiratory infections of this kind. When all is said and done, we have a lot to learn about pathogenic disease, and it always circles around to history. We can learn from the past, whether it be a dinosaur infected with a fungal pathogen or a human epidemic that people ignored hundreds of years ago. We have a lot to learn from them. At the end of the day, these things can teach us so many lessons, but we have to accept those lessons and learn from them and keep them from happening over and over. We need to understand that the disease that killed Dolly could kill millions of birds now, in our lifetime. It's important that we know how Dolly died and what she died of so that we can avoid mass extinction of modern bird species, or worse, a total disruption of the food chain if a certain disease should strike domestic bird populations. It's 100 seconds to midnight and a dinosaur that suffered from a respiratory infection 150 million years ago may just hold the key to the survival of a species that is directly related to her. Thank you so much for listening to Cause of Death 100 Seconds to Midnight. I hope you enjoyed the 50th episode. I'll be back in two weeks when I'll go further into Season 5. E. coli is our next restaurant rogue. If you love the show, please subscribe, rate, review, and share these episodes with everyone you know. You can support the show by signing up on Patreon or subscribing on Apple subscriptions. Go take a look at both of those. You can make a one-time donation to my Ko-Fi account as well. The links to all the ways you can support Cause of Death 100 Seconds to Midnight are in the show notes. And while you're there, look up a couple of the links and read a few papers on Dolly, Aspergillus, and birds. There is some really good research there. If you'd like to contact me, please visit me at my website at www.causeofdeath100sex.net or send an email to Jackie at causeofdeath100sex.net. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you all again for listening, and I'll talk to you in two weeks. O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh, oh.
Alright.